Luke chapter number 7 this evening. Luke chapter number 7. We'll begin reading in verse number 36 in what is a very interesting passage of Scripture. Now, all Scripture is interesting, but this one particularly to me because it is uh, somewhat paradoxical in nature. I have difficulty understanding all that the Savior is trying to say in this passage. And so I figured, well, i got to figure it out one day, so I might as well study it, learn it, and try to preach a sermon over it. And I have to be very honest, I don't know if I understand it any more clearly now than I did before I started studying it. But I do believe as we go through the Bible, we can learn something together this evening. So Luke chapter number 7, verse number 36, the Bible says this, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus said it meet in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden uh, him saw it, He spake within himself, saying, Would this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the most? Simon answered and said, Well, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that said it meet with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said unto the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Now, tonight I want to make very clear at the start of the message, God cannot love you any more than He already does. He has a perfect love. And uh, I'm using that in the biblical sense of the word love. It's, It's a complete love. There is no lack. There is no want. 
It is entirely compassion and charity and love towards you and I. But if I were to evaluate my own love for the Savior, I would say that my love is not perfect. I probably could love Him more. I, I could probably love Him a little bit more full, a little bit more complete. I could love Him even more. So let me ask you, how do I? I mean, I want to love the Savior with all of my heart, more than anything in this world. I want to love Jesus with all that I am. I believe that's an honorable thing, because He deserves all of my love. Man, sometimes I, I wonder, right? Like the hymn writer said, prone to leave thee, a God I love. So, my love obviously is not perfect. My love is not obviously complete. So when I I come to a passage like this, and Jesus teaches this lesson, verse 43, uh, He asks Simon, Simon, in this story of the creditor and forgiving of the debtors, one owed 50 and one owed 500, which one loved the most? And even Simon the Pharisee had to say, well, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, thou hast rightly judged. And then later on in verse 46, even Jesus says from his own mouth, he says, uh, 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 verse 47, Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. So there we have the same uh, uh, repetitive teaching where she was forgiven much, and so she loves me much. He goes on to say in verse 47, But to the person who is forgiven little, the same loveth just a little. Now this to me poses questions, almost problems if you will. Because I've sat around circles before in testimony time, and I've heard some testimonies that I would consider greater than my own. I've heard people tell of the uh, depravity of which the gospel found them, where they were, you know, whether they were deep into drugs or, or deep into uh, uh, some other terrible sin that we view as so bad, and they talk about how there was no hope. It's almost like every person that gives their testimony after me somehow got saved on a bar stool. And, I, and if you got saved there, praise the Lord. I'd rather get saved on a bar stool than not saved at all, so amen. And I'm not saying tonight that I did not sin because heavens knows I have. But when I look at some lives, I look at little children that get saved. How does a child who probably has never experienced tremendous amounts of sin in their life, how does that same child love the Lord immensely when they were never involved in a tremendous amount of sin, as I would reason in my own mind? And yet Jesus holds up a child and almost as the example for a Christian, and I believe this is what I'm going to preach on next week, a, a child, he says, of such is the kingdom of heaven. You want to love me completely? You want to have faith completely in me? How about you turn out to be like a little kid? And so as I, I reason within myself and I try to search for Scripture, I, I come to a problem, well, for the person who did not experience the bar stool, and for a person who never committed adultery, and the only thing he ever stole was peanuts from Walmart, and then later his mother told him that they weren't for free. And so uh, for that person, how does that person love much? Because I do, I want to love God entirely completely. 
And so tonight I want to teach you three steps of how you, no matter whether you're the barstool Christian or the child who is saved at four years old, can deepen your love for God. I want to show you first of all tonight in verse 37, if we're going to deepen our love for the Lord, we must have a regard for our own sin. Then this is probably answers a lot of the question, but in verse 37, the Bible says, and this is a Simon of the Pharisee. Do not confuse this passage of Scripture with Simon the leper. Do not confuse this woman who is a sinful woman with Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who also had an alabaster box. This is an entirely different story in an entirely different setting. But Simon the Pharisee uh, invites Jesus into his home to eat with him. And I don't know what Simon's intentions were. Many times when the Pharisees hosted Jesus, I believe it was to question him and to probe him as to whether his intentions were true and whether his doctrine was right. Other times, Pharisees sought for real answers. I bring to your mind Nicodemus in John chapter 3, who came with a genuine desire to know what Jesus was teaching. So I don't know if his motives are right or not, but I know that someone wrecks the party. And that's this sinful woman. Uh, Simon reasons within his mind uh, in verse 37, And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner... When she knew that Jesus said it meet in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. And then we go down to verse 39, and the Bible says, Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. Now I've read commentaries and I've searched the Scriptures here. This is the only time that this specific story is mentioned in the Gospel, so we do not have a, a, a harmony of the Gospels. In other words, it's not found in John. It's not found in Matthew or Mark. Luke is the only Gospel that records this story. And I have looked through this passage of Scripture, and uh, it never yet tells me what this woman was a sinner for. Now, most commentaries would lead you to believe that she was a harlot, probably a lady of the streets. Uh, the Bible says that she was in the city, and so I guess that leads to some uh, a thought in that direction. But truly, I don't know what she was guilty of, but I have to say tonight, it really doesn't matter. And, and Simon in this passage, when he sees this scene, you know, they're trying to have a sophisticated dinner with the, the religious hierarchy of the day, Jesus and Simon the Pharisee eating and trying to come to terms on what they both believe. And yet this woman, a sinful woman, comes and crashes the party. And Simon sees how Jesus does not reject her as probably Simon had done before. And uh, Simon begins to question, well, if this man were a prophet, as many claim that he is, if he, if he truly knew things that were beyond just his own realm of experience and knowledge, if nobody's told him, he ought to know if he were a prophet that this woman is a sinner and he should reject her from doing what she's doing. But can I point out to you tonight that there was an absolute awareness on Jesus' part as to who this woman was and what she had done. There was no question in Jesus' mind that she was a sinner. I looked up the Greek word here, sinner, and I want to be very clear. 
It's the same word sinner that the Bible uses to describe you and me. In fact, it would be the same word sinner that it would use to describe Simon the Pharisee. There is no uh, levels of sinners as many people would lead you to believe. We're all sinners before God. And in your own life, let me be very clear, Jesus is absolutely aware of your worst sin. Many Christians like to reason within themselves how they are maybe, be, maybe a little bit cleaner than another. And, and maybe because they haven't got caught doing the same stuff that the other person has done, even though uh, uh, many men would look at an adulterer and say, well, how dare you? As Pastor shared with us this morning, if a, woman looketh on a, uh, if a man looketh on a woman uh, uh, with lust, he hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And so we oftentimes like to think, well, I would never. But truth is, we're all just one mess up away from being this woman. And Jesus is absolutely aware of that. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 15, The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. And that's not the only place it says it. Job chapter 34, For his eyes are upon the ways of man, and he seeth all his goings. Proverbs chapter number 5, verse 21. For the ways of man are before the Lord, uh, before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. So, no matter what you've done or where you've done it, the very worst sin in your life that nobody else knows about, Jesus knows. And I'm thankful tonight that when you brought your low down sorry carcass to the Lord and you said, Lord, I am a sinner. He did not classify you as a worse sinner or a less than worse sinner. He classified you as a sinner. And He's absolutely aware of the worst thing that you've ever done. And I'll tell you this, He was also absolutely aware of the worst thing that you would do after your salvation. And the blood of Christ still, still cleansed you from that sin. He loved you in spite of you. What a blessing. As Simon said on his throne of piety, he looked at this woman and says, if Jesus only knew what she had done, nobody in that room knew better than the one who was embracing her and loving her and accepting her offering of worship that evening. Jesus was absolutely aware of who she was and He was absolutely aware of who you were when you came. Not only was He absolutely aware of her but there, uh, uh, in this passage, there's an absence of analyzation. You say, now, Brother Andrew, you're just kind of stretching the alliteration. Just give me a break. Don't worry too much about it. Verse number 39. Uh, the Bible says, now, when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Did you know that the Bible and even Jesus taught that we have a tendency to look at others as if they were less Christian than us? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite! 
First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. See, the Bible taught and Jesus taught that we as Christians have an easier time seeing the flaws of everyone around us and overlooking our own shortcomings. And as Simon the Pharisee sat there judging this woman, what he did not take into account is, he himself was a sinner. And he fell prey to this idea that there are some sins that are far worse than other sins. And I've never been involved in those sins. So uh, maybe he was uh, guilty of the sins that aren't so easily spotted. Maybe he was uh, guilty of bitterness. Maybe he was guilty of hatred. Now, it's hard to see someone hate another person if they never have to speak to that person. And so maybe he was guilty of those sins uh, of, of omission, but maybe hers were of commission. Either way, Simon was an absolute sinner, but he did not regard that. And I like the way in this passage that Jesus accepted the invitation of Simon, but extended an invitation to the sinful woman. Oh, sometimes we begin to look at our own life and we say, well, I'm, I'm pretty good. We kind of get this idea that Jesus got lucky when he got us. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, you know, I could probably lead someone to the Lord if I went. Well, you're probably not. But if you did, well, you know, I, I'm a pretty suave guy. I don't struggle with too many things. And, and we fall prey like Simon did to this idea that we are something special. The Bible clearly tells us in the book of Psalms, the Lord looked down from heaven. Now notice this. You ever seen an amber, amber alert? Sometimes in church we'll be sitting here and we'll hear, ah, ah, ah. and the other night when it was going off with the weather, y'all remember that? Uh, somebody looked at me and said, maybe it'll be an amber alert. And I'm like, I'm not sure that's better. What's worse, tornadoes wrecking homes or some little girl missing somewhere? I'm, I'm not sure which I prefer. And, uh, and uh, that was a joke. I'm, I'm not judging, but I was saying, maybe we, I wish there wasn't either going on right now. But uh, you ever heard of an Amber Alert where somebody goes missing? And, and everybody begins to search. There's things posted on the roadways. Look for a blue sedan with a license plate, blah, 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 blah. Amber Alert. Everybody begins to search. The Bible says that at one point, God put on an Amber Alert search. And the Bible says, the Lord looked down from heaven. Now, the Lord knows everything. He sees everything. A couple times in Scripture, the Lord looks down. I remember Job when Satan says, there's nobody that would honor you. And says, oh, Lord says, you haven't considered my servant Job. Man, he's a, he's a good guy. He's perfect. He's upright. He escheweth evil. Man, Job loves me. But even in consideration of Job, the Bible says, the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand. And seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And I believe that this passage is talking about in the course of mankind's time here on this planet, from Adam all the way to my daughter Bailey, all the way down to the newest newborn ever. There's never been a man that's totally seeked after God. And I, I want to be very clear tonight. If you had one thing left up to you in your salvation, you would have screwed it up. You say, there's no way, Brother Andrew. If the Lord would have just asked one thing of me, I think I could have handled it. Tell that to Eve. What was the rules? 
don't eat. Here's the whole, whole shebang. I mean, we don't need this extensive list. We don't need signs up everywhere. Eve, here's all it is. Don't eat of one fruit. Just one. It's pretty simple. It's self-explanatory. He, the Lord told Adam, and Adam conveyed that rule to his wife Eve. And Eve even recorded it like this. They recited it to, the, to Satan there. She says, we shouldn't even eat of it, but we shouldn't even look at it. We shouldn't even touch it. That was how she said it. And the only thing that was left up to them to maintain a perfect fellowship with the Lord was what? Don't do that. What was the one thing they did? (laughs) They took it. You say, well, I'm a pretty good Christian. No, this is how good a Christian you are. If one thing had been left up to you, you'd have screwed up. If one little thing, if if you would have just had to keep one rule, or if you had had to just give one amount of money, or if you had had to just do this or do that, you would have failed miserably because the Bible says there is none that doeth good. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You were not good enough to gain entrance into heaven. And God saw that and still loved you in spite of that. Tonight, if we're going to deepen our love for God, it's not based upon how much you're forgiven or how little you're forgiven. It's based upon your understanding that you were forgiven. And that no matter whether you're a drunkard when you got saved or no matter if you were saved in bus church and the children's church, the same amount of blood was required for you as it was for the other person. We've got to regard our own iniquity, regard our own sin, and look at it and say, Lord, I wasn't going to make it into heaven without you, so Lord, I'm thankful that you came to save me. So first of all, we must regard the depth of our own sin. Secondly, if we're going to deepen our love for the Lord, we must realize the display of great compassion shown to us. We must realize the display of great compassion. Now, could you imagine the setting as Simon the Pharisee? Many times it was customary that when, say, someone as well-to-do as Simon would have invited Jesus, it probably, most likely, was not just a supper with Jesus and Simon present. Most likely, there were many there of high regard who were well-esteemed within the community. Maybe some other Pharisees, but even if they weren't Pharisees, there was probably some very fine, up to do people there that evening. Could you imagine the scene as they begin to break bread with one another and begin to talk about the deeper things of theology? Maybe they're talking about this resurrection, this, this second coming, or, or maybe they're, they're talking about one of these deep things. Could you imagine the scene as this woman bursts in the door. It probably upset many. We know it upset Simon. And yet, the party didn't stop. In fact, I would suggest it just had gotten started. The woman begins to wash the feet of Jesus and to anoint Him. And and, in an act of worship and love, begins to shed her praise to who He is and her love for Him, spill it out in front of everybody. And this is what's so beautiful about it. All the criticism she tunes out. It was as if there was not another person in the room. Just her and Jesus. 
And just someone anointing the feet of the precious Lamb of God, worshiping Him from a heart of pure love, it's a beautiful story. What's even more beautiful is the perfect Lamb of God reciprocated the love. Oh, it's easy to accept love. It's difficult to extend it to something that's not beautiful. A while back, and I've told you all this before, but I woke up one morning at 4 a.m. and I went to the refrigerator in our home to get uh, uh, some milk, I believe, and maybe some alcohol, I can't remember, but one of the two. And um, I look out my back door there, and there's just this little bitty mutt. Okay? Just a mutt. It's kind of sandwiched in between my grill and my uh, house there. And I'm thinking, it's just solid asleep, man. Didn't know there was another person in the world. And here I am standing about three feet from the dog. And I'm thinking within my mind, what should I do? Now, you have to understand that uh, I've had a bunch of dogs getting in my trash. And I still do. Amen? And, uh, you know, it takes a long time to clean out trash. You know what makes cleaning up trash in your yard even worse? When you have daughters who use diapers. And for some reason, the dogs love to get in the diapers and explain that to me. And so I look at this dog, and I don't know what dogs are getting in my trash, but I look at this dog, and I, it's not clean, it's not kept, there's no collar, it's, it's not, not well taken care of. And I look at it, and I just... I, I say within myself, and, and I told you I'm not a morning person, if that dog were me, and I was asleep on someone's back porch, I would consider it very rude if someone were to wake me up and run me off. And so I got my milk and I went back to bed. The next day, uh, we walked out of the house and that dog just happened to still be there. And when we opened the door, the dog kind of ran off. Like, you know, gained some distance because he didn't know how we were going to react to it. And I, I still a little torn because I wasn't sure if that was the dog getting in my trash. But I was, you know, okay with it. And, and I think we began to, uh, well, I'll tell you how it happened. We started feeding it scraps. <laughs> Terrible error. We uh, began to show it some love and affection. And sooner or later, that dog has kind of just become part of the Wolfenbarger clan. (laughs) Now this dog, we have named it Blanca. This dog sits in my parents' driveway, waiting on one of our vehicles to drive down the road. Whether it's me, whether it's my wife, or whether it's my parents, or even Craig or Mandy, when we drive down the road, the dog starts to go to the house of which we belong and checks the yard to make sure there's no boogers there to get us. (laughs) Truly, we were just mangy mutts at the feet of a wonderful Savior. And probably the smartest thing to do was for him to shoo us away. But he did not. You want to love the Lord a little bit deeply? Begin to consider in your own life what you looked like when you came. 
And it was not amazing that you loved the Lord. He is altogether lovely. He is love. You should be attracted to things that are beautiful and lovely and comely. It would make sense for you to love God, but it makes no sense for Him to reciprocate that same love. Oh, He displayed a great compassion. There's a universal acceptance in verse 36. The Bible says, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And this woman, a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat uh, at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. He did not run her off. He did not shoo her. He accepted her. And I don't know if you know this or not, but no matter what door you knock on to invite them to church or introduce them to my Savior, they are always accepted at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter what that man's past is. It doesn't matter what their history is. It doesn't matter how dirty they've been or how wicked they've been or how vile they are. The Bible tells us that Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any will hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him and will sup with him and he with me. Every man's heart Jesus knocks on. Every man's heart he will open up and come into them if that man will accept him. Romans chapter 5 tells us, For scarcely for a righteous will uh, one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare die. But the Bible tells us, But God commendeth His love toward us. We were not righteous, we were not good. But even though we were not righteous, and even though we were not good, God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a wonderful display of compassion. Not only a universal acceptance, but an unrestricted freedom. Notice in verse 42, the Bible says, and this is a parable that Jesus gives to share the forgiveness that He offers and extends. Verse 42, And when they had nothing to pay, He frankly forgave them both. The story is amazing because it illustrates one man whose debt was much smaller than another man's. And yet they were both forgiven and the same thing was given, uh, told to them that no matter what their debt was, they were completely forgiven no matter how great the debt. You see, Jesus didn't come to save the, the one who is just a small sinner. He did not come for the one who had not been in a part of the world. He came to save children of wrath. He, became, he came to, to, to save children of their father, the devil. That's who Jesus came for. What a wonderful promise. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. But the Bible says, But where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. No matter how bad you were, no matter how good you thought you were, Jesus loved you and it still cleansed you from your sin. And unrestricted freedom. So first of all, if we are going to deepen our love for the Lord, we must regard the depth of our own sin. We must realize the display of this great compassion. And thirdly, and we're done, to remember the delight that awaits us. 
Now, this morning, preacher did a fantastic job in his sermon sharing with us the way we don't even know what our bodies will look like, the joy that awaits us in heaven. But I'm not talking about that joy. I'm not talking about joy after death. I'm talking about joy after your rebirth. How many Christians are so sad and in the molly grubs all the time? Boy, Jesus came to give us life more abundant. We're to be happy. We're to be glad. We are the only ones to have a reason to smile because the Lord loves us. And we found out that truth. We uh, are to remember the delight that awaits us. First of all, the joy of honoring Him with our life. In verse 46, the Bible says this, And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. She figured out how to honor God with who she was and what she had. She honored God with her possessions. She brought an alabaster box of ointment, broke it and spilled it out to the feet of Jesus and began to anoint Him. I don't know if it was the best she had. Many believe it was. But she honored God with what she had. I don't know how expensive it was. I'm not going to get into the penny worth and the cubit and the breadth of a needle hair. No, I'm not going to talk about all that. She honored God with what she had. It doesn't matter how expensive it was. In the widow's case, it was just two mites. Uh, In Abraham's case, it was entire flocks and entire amounts of faith given. But whatever you have, you honor God with your possessions. It's our joy to serve the King of Kings. It's an honor to be part of God's army and to serve a commander who loved me. The joy of honoring Him. She honored Him with her possessions. She honored Him with her passion. In the Bible here, the Bible says that she began to weep at the feet of Jesus. She was broken for some reason. I tell you, a lot of Christians today are not broken. A lot of Christians today are so hardened by who knows what it is. Maybe it's the gospel being preached to them over and over and over again. We become numb to this wonderful story. Maybe it's uh, uh, that we're so hardened by the world's uh, sin and the wickedness in this world. I don't know why we're so hard today, but seeing people cry in the church is almost... Uh, foreign now. It's, it's a strange thing when a song touches someone's heart so much to make them to say amen. It's, a, it's an oddity now to have someone just stand up and say, preacher, I want to tell you that the Lord's been good to me and my family. I don't know why, but it seems like we're so hard these days. It was Charles Finney that said, there can be no revival when Mr. Amen and Mr. Wet Eyes are not found in the audience. Amen. This woman was broken at the feet of Jesus and began to worship Him with her passion. Maybe the reason that we're so scared of showing emotion is because of all the other denominations. say, what do you mean, Brother Andrew? Well, you know, there's some denominations that their whole religion is built upon emotion. Their music is emotional. Their service preparation is, is is designed to coerce emotion. 
They try to get your heartstrings. They try to pull, they put dramas on to, to make you sad and then to uh, make you happy all and you ride these roller coasters of emotion. Maybe we don't want to do it because we see other religions and denominations so involved with theirs that we say, well, surely that person can't be happy in Jesus because they're just shouting to show everybody up. I don't know what it is. But I know that when you are broken at the feet of Jesus, whether you're crying, whether you're shouting, whether you're praising God, whether you're just in your seat, not in all, whatever it is, I think it's a good thing when someone shows a little emotion when it comes to the story of the Gospel. We get so numb to it. She honored Jesus with her possessions. She honored Jesus with her passion. She honored Jesus with her person. Not only did she weep at the feet of Jesus, but she used her hair and began to wash the feet of this man who no doubt had filthy feet. Jesus tells us that when He entered Simon's house, nobody had washed his feet. So, if Jesus walked all day long in sandals to get to Simon's house, you can imagine how dirty and filthy this man's feet would be. And yet she knelt down and with her hair began to wash the feet of Jesus. You ever seen a woman, how particular they are about their hair? Husband, when your wife asks you if you like her new hairdo, that's not a question. And they're not asking you to be truthful. They're asking you to lie. And it's okay, it's under the blood. Look, God instituted the home, and if you want your home to stay together when your wife gets a new haircut, whether it looks terrible, whether it looks like Hillary, whatever it looks like, you just tell her, yeah, babe, it looks great. <laughs> Women are pretty particular about their hair. And yet this woman at the feet of Jesus washed filthy feet. I don't even like feet at all. Feet are gross. They smell. They get sweaty. Feet are nasty, and yet she's down there washing the feet of our precious Savior with her hair. She used her person. The Bible clearly indicates to us that we are to love God and give Him what He has purchased with His blood. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We are to honor God with our possessions and with our passion and with our person. It's our privilege to get to honor the Lord. It's not, it's not some uh, uh, obligatory deal that we have to struggle through. No, it's a privilege to serve the God that I love. It's not a problem that I get to go tell people about the gospel. It's not a big deal that I get to knock on doors and say, Hey, brother, I want you to know that Jesus loves you and He died on the cross for your sins. Oh, that's not a problem. That is my glorious, uh, what, what should I call it? No, it's not an obligation. It's a privilege. It's a wonderful privilege. And it's, it's an honor to serve Him. She honored Him. Uh, the joy of honoring Him. Then finally, the joy of being in harmony with Him. Look at verse 50. We're done. The Bible says, And He said unto the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. There's nothing better than being at peace with God. Many men have sought for years to find peace and acceptance within themselves, never to find it. Because you can never be happy with yourself. No matter how good you think you are, you'll always have problems. 
Eastern theology, they talk about coming, finding yourself and Zen. My friend, there is nothing good about you, so you can't be happy with who you are. But we can have peace with God. Do you know the Bible doesn't always paint a rosy picture of our God? Uh, Paul put it this way, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. The book of the Revelation says, from whose face the heavens and the earth fled. God is not always the loving Father that we know throughout Scripture. Sometimes God is a holy, righteous God with indignation. And I tell you, I don't want to meet that God. I don't want to have to be under His wrath. I don't want to have to be under His judgment. Man, I, I don't want Him to show my life up on a screen. I don't want Him to recall everything I've done. Because if He does that, I will look so good in the presence of everyone around. I won't be so uh, 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 cleaned up behind the ears if God were to rain down wrath and judgment upon me. But the Bible tells us that we have achieved peace and we have access to peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in John, 1 John chapter 4, There is no fear in love, but perfect, fear, perfect love casteth out fear. I opened the sermon by saying, God cannot love you more. He has a perfect love. And it is through and in that perfect love we find peace with God. What a wonderful truth. I want to love God more deeply. I want to serve Him. I, I, I want to love Him with all that I am. It's not, it's not so that... I don't love God deeper to go out and get in sin so that He can forgive me of that sin and I gain some more love. No, it's just realizing the blood that Jesus shed was an amazing gift given to me. And so through that gift and through the peace that I have found in Him, I can love Him as much as I can love Him. I'll love Him more tomorrow, just realizing every time I screw up, you ought not think, man, I can't believe I didn't do better. You ought to say, man, I'm so thankful God still loves me in spite of me. Well, sometimes when I was younger, this never happens now, only occasionally, I would uh, get in trouble. I don't get in trouble much anymore, just about every week with my parents. Occasionally, my mom would say to me, she felt like the issue was bigger than what she could handle, I suppose. I'm not sure. She has a pretty big paddle, and Ben is learning that truth very well, is he not? (laughs) People talk about drilling holes in the paddle for more aerodynamic nature. I don't know, I know the paddle that we had flew like a F-16 coming right at my hiney. thing was, it's not a two-by-four, it's just an instrument of death. She ordered it off eBay, mid-evil torture device. And occasionally my mom would say, you wait till your father gets home. So you're telling me that the amount of punishment that you could give me is not sufficient enough for the crime that I've committed. So even though your punishment is awful and haunts my nightmares, you don't think in your mind that it it is acceptable uh, for the level of uh, betrayal that I have committed. So now I have to wait for Dad. What can Dad do? 
Well, dad has belts. The paddle is bad, but I have to be honest. A cowboy belt is worse. You know what bling is on the rhinestones on these cowboys they wear today? They're basically like a cat of nine tails when you turn it into a whip. There's sterling silver on this belt. Yeah, that's not sharp. And when he spanked me, he just put it in there and ripped. 39, two score times, save one. And I tell you, when mom said, you wait till your father gets home, there was a period of time there that was more miserable than the actual punishment. You know what you do? You look out the window. Every vehicle that drives by that remotely looks like dad's pickup truck. Oh no, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Oh thanks, oh man, that person lives in godly. Amen. Love those godly Indians or whatever you call yourselves. And then eventually dad's truck would pull down the drive. And I'd go hide. What do you do? You know punishment's coming. You know you're going to have to answer for what you've done. You think dad's punishment is bad? You wait until God gets a hold of you. I'm going to tell my dad does nothing in comparison to I know a God that knows everything has all access and all power in the world, and He's the one going to figure out what to do with you. That's pretty rough. And old Jesus steps up says, He doesn't need to serve any punishment. He doesn't, he doesn't have to face anything. I've already faced it. Uh, the punishment that I took on the cross, the nails in my hands and the scars that I had to show, the punishment, the cat of nine tells I endured. Lord, Father, you don't have to punish this child because he is my child. You want to deepen your love for God? Realize that when you lay your head on your pillow tonight, you're at perfect peace with God. You realize that even in your worst sinful condition as a Christian, you are still clothed in the glorious righteousness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You may think of yourself as a wretch. You may think of yourself as a sinner. But when God looks at you, He sees redeemed. When God looks at you, He sees justified. When God looks at you, He says, altogether lovely and acceptable. Not because of who you are. Heaven knows that's not the case. But because of who His Son is and what He did on on Calvary. Tonight there may be someone in this room who has never accepted that. Never accepted the atoning blood and sacrifice of Jesus for their sins. Well, friend, you're going to have to face a holy, just God. You're going to have to face a God who knows everything you've ever done. Oh, they're not going to have to flash everything on a screen because it's recorded in a book. They're not going to have to read through the charges because you will stand guilty and they won't have to read it off. There will be no bailiff there. God is the judge. He is the jury and he is the executioner. You say, there's no way a loving God could send me to hell. Oh, God is just as loving as he is righteous. And he's just as righteous as he is just. And if you're put on trial and you're the one who was uh, a crime was committed against, you're rooting for the judge to put the man away. 
God would not be a righteous judge if He was not a just judge. He's only judging according to what you've done. And if you've never accepted Jesus, you're guilty before Him. But friend, today you can find sweet, sweet peace. It's not peace that you've attained, but it's peace through His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the propitiation for your sin. He is the one, He was the Lamb of God who came to this earth to be placed on a cross for your sins. And you say, Brother Andrew, why are you preaching to the lost? This is a Sunday night. I'm preaching to a bunch of redeemed folks who need to remember that one time they were under that message. I'm preaching to a bunch of Christians who need to remember that they would be the one in the invitation right now if they had not already done so. I'm preaching to Christians tonight who need to realize they are redeemed and they ought to start acting like it. Oh, I need to love God deeper because what He did for me pales in comparison of what I do for Him. That's how you can love God deeper.